Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here alongside the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, for today's episode that is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order and you might be able to have a victory, Built Bar. Tonight, uh, the Bucks beat the Sixers 124-117, to which for a number of reasons is an important win to pick up for sure. The Sixers didn't have Ben Simmons in the lineup, but who gives us stuff? Because it's always fun to beat the Sixers and we're going to go through it all. And perhaps there was a few things you could be a bit grumpy about during this game, Frank. It wasn't exactly perfect. Certainly the ending wasn't perfect, but to be totally honest, I just want to beat Philadelphia every time we play them. And I know, again, that they didn't have Simmons, but like Marcus Johnson said on the Fox Sports uh, or, the, or whatever it's called now, the broadcast, the local broadcast, he said, that's not our problem and it's not the Bucks' problem tonight and they took care of business and in the end picked up an important win. Yeah, I think any, you know, any win over a team you're chasing uh, is, is pretty important and there's only two teams the Bucks are chasing and obviously it's Philly and Brooklyn and you're going to have you know, these two-game homestand uh, series against both of them here um, in the last month or so of the season. So um, I thought today obviously was one you, you had to get because Philly's coming off a back-to-back. As you said, they don't have Simmons. Uh, Tobias Harris and, and Seth Curry did play tonight after missing yesterday, so they were not um, you know playing for a second game in 24 hours, but we're coming off uh, some – sounds like Harris just has like a – going to have just sort of a, a bug, bothersome knee the rest of the season. Uh, he had a bone bruise and, and didn't play last night. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure how much sort of the, you know, the psychological aspect of, you know, beating beating a rival, um, you know, you now you're up 2-0 in the season series. They only play one more game, which is Saturday. So the Bucks lock lock up the – uh, head-to-head tiebreaker, which would be the first tiebreaker in the event that these teams were tied in playoff seating at the end of the year. That's good. Um, but certainly, if you don't win on Saturday, it's, you know, the odds of catching Philly, I think, are, are not going to be very high. So, um, you know, I, I would not say Saturday is a must-win game, but I think, again, if you're the Bucks, as much as seating is not a huge point of emphasis this year, uh, you know, like you haven't you haven't really been too impressive playing against the best teams in the league. I feel like, you know, they've generally been very competitive, but uh, they've lost close games as we saw in that Phoenix game most recently. And they just haven't really, you know, wowed you. Uh, they've generally beaten up on bad teams this year as they've always have, but they haven't been as competitive against the good teams. So um, whatever version of Philly was there tonight, it was important to, to kind of take it to them and, you know, credit to the Bucks. I mean, they had lost. I, I hadn't really realized it because it's taken over such a long period of time with all the road trips. But I mean, they had lost five straight games at home, which is <laughs> crazy. You know, like they were thirty and five at home all of last year, 
and they were 0-5 in their last five home games, which granted did include those two games where it was basically, you know, the Wisconsin herd out there. But still, I mean, you know, like that's still three other home games you lost in that same span without a win. So um, I think, you know, again, just you're, you're trying to get psychologically, I think, into a good place. I think when you're beating teams that you're chasing, beating teams that are going to be, you know, the ones that you, uh, you have your eyes on in terms of future playoff matchups, um, it's never a bad thing. And uh, yeah, as you said, certainly the fourth quarter left a lot to be desired with how they pretty much just stopped making shots um, the last seven minutes of the game, which was kind of bizarre, but never really got nervous either. So it was sort of a strange, it definitely was not like a crunch time. You know, the Bucks can't handle crunch time. It was more like, you know, the Bucks shot the lights out for 41 minutes. And then the last seven, they just shot a bunch of bricks, but um, you know, th- that first quarter was incredibly impressive. Chris Middleton came out red hot, 21 points in the first half. Uh, and then Bobby Portis. I mean, he's a guy that has had a lot of quiet nights. Bench in general has had a lot of quiet nights against, you know, good teams, it's felt like. And, you know, the game was single digits there late in the third. And he came in and just completely turned it on its head, hit a bunch of threes and bucks were up 21 points going to the fourth. And, you know, it's pretty much curtains as we didn't even see him beat in the fourth quarter. So um yeah good good win um not the most convincing in the grand scheme of the universe but you know at this point any win over or philly is is definitely one that you have to feel pretty good about it yeah we'll start with middleton and it's probably it probably can be pretty brief with him tonight i mean he was shooting the lights out which was fantastic to see he really came out hot as did all the bucks but some of those mid-range shots that he was taking there was one in particular where he was kind of leaning fading towards the baseline from the broadcast camera it almost looked like he was behind the backboard and he still managed to knock that one down we've we've seen him over a number of years make those types of difficult shots but it is really interesting honestly if you look at his shooting percentages by day's rest now i don't know how this translates across the league i mean it certainly makes sense that players shoot better the more rest they have like i'm not trying to say that this is just a chris Middleton thing but if you look at the numbers for him on back-to-backs, uh, his field goal percentage is only 40%, true shooting 53. One day it goes up to 47 and 58. Two days, which was tonight's situation, 52% from the field and 63% true shooting. And on the rare occasion they have three days off, he's 55% from the field and 64% true shooting. I mean, it just goes up. It rockets up the more rest he has. And the Bucks came into this one on two days rest and while you certainly noted that some of those guys for the Sixers weren't on the back-to-back they are a little bit banged up but Milwaukee certainly from the start looked like a team that had had a couple of days off got a chance to actually practice for a rare time and they looked pretty fresh but it's interesting with Middleton for sure and if you're a Bucks fan which I assume 95% of the people listening to this podcast probably are you have to feel good that there's no back-to-backs in the postseason at least so you don't have to worry about that 40% um, from the field there you mentioned Embiid left the game uh, early or he left the game in the third quarter, actually, and he was holding his shoulder. He was on the ground a lot during this game. Joel Embiid is always on the ground. He's always... I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a player in the league that spends more time on the ground than him. And considering his injury history, it's very strange to me. But he was holding his shoulder. He left the game in the third and didn't come back. I was a little bit surprised that he played in the back-to-back either way. But how did you think the Bucks handled him 
defensively anyway, Brooke Lopez got the majority of the assignment. We saw PJ Tucker a couple of times just get stiffed by the refs. I mean, my goodness, two of those calls on PJ. He, he, if he had hair, he would have been tearing it out. But Brooke Lopez in particular, what did you see in that matchup there? Because I, I thought certainly, obviously, the first quarter, he was super impressive, blocked his shot a couple of times, was really physical. And then Joel Embiid, as we know, has just been an absolute flamethrower from the mid-range. And, and, and to be honest, it felt like a lot of those were well defended. There's not much else you can do. He's just a superstar. But how did you assess it? Yeah, I thought watching Embiid and, and Giannis tonight was interesting just because they had stretches of struggling. And part of Giannis' struggles was when Embiid started guarding him in the mm-hmm. second quarter. Um, but, I, you know, I mean, I, th- I would agree. I mean, again, Brooke and his size is is going to make it harder for Embiid to really kind of bang and, and get really close to the basket. I mean, we saw Joel's quickness is, is inc- pretty incredible for a man as enormous as he is. He he did get to the to the cup a, a couple times after the first quarter, but um, you know, you're I think you you categorize. I mean, Brooke was was giving him a little bit of a room um, so that you know he he couldn't because because Joel also is an expert at sort of conning free throws by you know basically pushing his, pulling his arms into your, into yours and basically, you know, just willing himself to the foul line. It seemed like Brooke was wary of getting too close to him on those face-ups and not giving him, you know, a chance to, to kind of throw his arms just into, into Brooks. Um, so he hit, yeah, I mean, it felt like he hit every mid-ranger he took, but you know, you look at the box score, nine out of 21, yeah. 24 points. I mean, you'll take that any day. Um, he was a minus 19, only three rebounds. 27 minutes uh you know i think if you told us you'd get that result out of joel Embiid, you would you'd obviously take that any night right not a very efficient scoring night um and the sixers obviously were, were heavily outscored when, when he was on the floor so um so yeah i mean i think we saw why you know brooke is a guy that um would obviously be a really important you know there, there's no more important matchup in, in potential playoffs than than, a, than than this one, you know, when you're talking about Brooke Lopez, right? I mean, again, Sixers aren't the only team that I think he can be useful in, in terms of a series. But, you know, Joel is obviously the guy in the East. When you look at centers that you'd really want to have Brooke Lopez available for just because of his size, um, that's the one that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, not only I thought did Brooke do a solid job defensively, but, um, you know, 16 points on 10 shots, four out of seven from three. Thought the Bucks did a nice job taking advantage of the fact that you know Joel is Joel is uh, you know he's a, an enormous shot blocker who wants to stay in the paint. And I thought Middleton, Giannis in particular were very smart um, when they did drive to the lane. They were very cognizant of the fact that Joel is going to crash and and try to help and try to get you know get get the shot block, and that's going to leave people open. And obviously, Brooke was the beneficiary of that repeatedly especially in that first half and got just wide open looks for three. And, um, you know, fortunately he was, he was making the Sixers pay for it. So, uh, so certainly that center matchup, you know, again, yes, Embiid outscored Brooke 24 to 16, but took twice as many shots plus one. Uh, and I think you, you're, you're very happy with the net result of the center matchup tonight. And I thought flipping it a little bit, um, it was interesting. We, you know, we didn't see Joel in, in the last matchup, obviously between these teams, this is Doc Rivers' first year. I was curious if Rivers was going to put Embiid on Giannis the same way that Brett Brown always did. And it was interesting to start that that he didn't go that direction. Um, and he had, you know, he, he had basically 
forwards on defending Giannis in the first quarter. Um, you know, Giannis didn't have like a huge first quarter, but got loose a few times. He hit his first three shots. And then in the second quarter, Embiid did start guarding him. And uh, based on my kind of this certainly unofficial counting, I think Giannis missed his first six shots after Embiid started guarding him. Um, and a number of those were just, you know, jump shots that he just bricked and really didn't look particularly comfortable shooting. Uh, but, you know, this is why these guys are great players. You know, Embiid got more comfortable as the game went on and started to find his rhythm offensively against Brooke taking what he was getting. And similarly, Giannis started to get a feel for, okay, this is how I need to attack Embiid when he's defending him. And so, you know, he, he missed six nor I think it was three of nine at one point. And then he made his next four shots in that third quarter, you know, he had eight points at halftime and I think he had 18 or 20, I think going into the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, had a, had a much more, uh, much more dramatic impact there in the third, especially once you kind of started to get, get things figured out a little bit. So, you know, that's why these guys are great players. You know, they, you, you think you've got somebody that's a good matchup or you think you've got somebody kind of figured out and they, they you know, they, they're just really hard. You can't just do one thing and slow down Giannis. You can't just do one thing and slow down Embiid because if it was that easy, they wouldn't be who they are. So I thought, you know, Giannis definitely got better as the game went on, you know, hit a three in that, in that, uh, in that third quarter uh and you know only only real downside then was was the free throw shooting 10 out of 18 um obviously not in the right, going in the right direction there after the 9 out of 10 performance last game but um you know certainly one that uh you know 27 points 16 rebounds six assists two steals a block uh plus 25 i think you i think you'll take it <laughs> you know especially that plus 25 bucks not going to lose a lot of games when when the bucks are that good with Giannis on the floor um not not Giannis's best game by a long stretch, but but uh, you know certainly a, a solid night at the office, uh, playing against a team that that certainly can throw a, a guy at him and Joel who who can certainly give him problems one on one. So, um, so yeah, fun fun matchup to watch, and uh, you know it'll be interesting to see if, if Simmons does come back, just because um, he had he had some some really solid minutes defending Giannis in the previous game, and so I'm curious if you know if if Doc would go back to him trying to defend Giannis or does he stick with Embiid and put, you know, Simmons on Drew or, or Chris, right? Which obviously his uh, Simmons defensive abilities could, could be put to good use against those guys as well. So one of, certainly an interesting matchup thing to watch for the next game. This year, the Locked On Podcast Network is partnering with the Draft Network to cover the NFL Draft Live. Get insight and analysis from Locked On local experts and the Draft Network's national experts. Subscribe to the Locked On NFL YouTube page to watch live three-day coverage of the NFL Draft from April 29 to May 1st. Interesting with Giannis, and, and obviously it's hard to get a real read as you sort of pointed to what Doc Rivers will do, but when you think that you still have an all NBA defense caliber guy to come back into the lineup, you see why Philadelphia are a physical challenge for Giannis because there's just not too many teams that have the guys with that combination of size, quickness, and just flat out defensive IQ. So it would be interesting to see how that played out. And I actually thought in the third quarter, I I don't know how you were feeling about it, but it, it felt to me that Giannis was... He, he looked he looked pretty frustrated. He was missing a few free throws. He wasn't really able to find his rhythm. And I actually thought in that stretch where he 
really got rolling and scored all those points. And then ultimately Embiid was, was out of the game from that point on that. I, I thought he was forcing it a little bit too much actually, but then he started to knock down, he knocked down a tough jumper, he knocked down a three and then all of a sudden he was in his rhythm and he was fine. And he was able to blow by Embiid for a dunk there, a left-hand dunk there at one point as well. So it was interesting to see how this game played out because Embiid did the thing, and we've seen lots of guys do this. It's not a new thing. We've certainly seen Embiid do this to Giannis where you're almost to the point where he doesn't even look at him. And as soon as Giannis goes to shoot, he'll look away from him. And it's always been fascinating for me to see how that impacts Giannis from a mental standpoint. I think clearly on Christmas Day a couple of years ago, it bothered him a lot and he really got out of his rhythm and he just kept shooting jump shots almost out of being stubborn, just trying to knock one of those down. And we've seen uh, the, the game I always think of or the player I always think of is Andre Drummond on the Pistons a few years ago. But it's always funny to me because I, I don't think Giannis really as a player or as an equal, an all-star, I, I don't think he really respects Andre Drummond. Like, I don't think he cares if Andre Drummond is doing that to him because he's like, whatever, dude. Like, uh, you're not that good. That doesn't bother me. But when Embiid does it, it is interesting. Like, they have interesting by-play on the court and they sort of get into it with each other and they clearly respect each other and like each other. But I think when it's MB doing it, we have seen at times that Giannis can be a little more sucked into taking those jumpers rather than sticking with the offense. And, and he can try and get in a one-on-one game, which he did a little bit in the third quarter. Obviously it worked out tonight, but it's just interesting to see. And I know a lot of the people listening will be like, yeah, well, Giannis has had monster games against the Sixers in the past. And he has, he has, he certainly has, but there's been other times where the Sixers have been able to defend him pretty well. So I, I don't, I'm not sure, a couple of years ago, I probably felt that this was a matchup that Giannis really, really had the upper hand, but it's certainly, it's certainly proven to be a, a little more close or a little more challenging for him over the last few matchups, it feels like, when they've been healthy. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, the interesting thing with, with Embiid defending him one-on-one is that, um, you know, they're not really going to help. Embiid because the whole point of putting Embiid on him is is that you kind of just let Joel handle it and you know that's it um but the downside of doing that is a you know it's hard for him to run up and down the court with Giannis especially in transition so you know that's going to tire him out you know can you do that over a seven game series that that would be an interesting question right can you put Embiid on Giannis for that long and force him to to work that hard um and make him exert that level of effort on both ends of the floor uh we may find out in <laughs> this is playoffs. Um, and, uh, but you know, you're like that 52 point game he had a couple years ago and be defended him really well back. But the problem is like, you know, you can put screens on Embiid and beads, you know, not going to go over a screen or something like that. I mean, they're, they're pretty, you know, they're going to switch. They're going to do stuff. You can manipulate the matchups so that you don't just have to go one-on-one with Joel Embiid every game or every time down the floor. And uh, so it, it's, it's a really interesting sort of chess match that you play. And again, these, these players have seen each other so many times now um, that they, you know, they kind of know each other's tendencies and um, you know, they each have sort of ways that they can set the other one up, but you know, it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, I think an advantage the Sixers have is that fundamentally Embiid can guard Giannis, but I don't think Giannis can really guard Embiid very well. Um, you know, you just think about the strength differential. I don't think you want Giannis banging with them down there. Um, so you really need Brooke out there against Embiid. Or I thought the other interesting thing that we saw tonight was you mentioned, you know, PJ Tucker getting a rough whistle. Um, you know, again, I'm not sure it's like a great idea, but the fact that you can probably get away with going (laughs) small with PJ at the five and Giannis out there, 
I think that adds a, an interesting dimension to what the Bucks could do. Um, because again, you know, if you have PJ out there, uh, you can do different things. He can guard, you know, especially if Simmons is playing the five or sorry, the point, you know, PJ could literally be guarding one through five in those scenarios. Um, you know, Giannis obviously can, you know, survive individual match, individual, uh, you know, possessions if he has to switch on to Embiid, things like that. So, uh, I, I, you know, I don't think you didn't add PJ Tucker to, to guard Joel Embiid. Um, but we saw, uh, I, I'm glad we saw at least a few possessions of that just to, just to get a look at it. And certainly, you know, we, we've seen PJ defending big guys uh, over the past few seasons very regularly. And, you know, again, is that the, the most favorable matchup? Probably not, but it lets the Bucks do some different things. Um, and again, puts like another, another card they can play into their back pocket. So, um, it'll be interesting to see on Saturday and be, you know, he looked pretty tired tonight. Um, after a big night last night, we'll be interesting Saturday with both teams on, on equal rest, potentially Simmons coming back. Um, you know how that matchup shakes up, uh, then. So, um, you know, one win is nice, but when you're, when you're the team chasing, you know, splitting the two games doesn't really obviously help you. Uh, at all in the standing. So um, obviously Saturday would, would be a huge win for the Bucks and very difficult, to, you know, difficult to beat good teams once, let alone twice. Um, so I think that's certainly going to be a very good bar for test for where the Bucks are. Uh, and, you know, again, it's not, not like the ultimate litmus test on how good they are, what they can do in the playoffs, but certainly it's about as good as a good a test as we're probably going to see here over the past last month of the season. Uh, Doc Rivers did say after the game that Ben Simmons is going to be 50-50 uh, for Saturday afternoon. So we'll see. He's he's sick, I guess. He, that's that's the word out of the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. He's got the flu or something like that. Non-COVID related is, uh, is what they are saying there. I was actually a little bit disappointed. And this was on, I believe this was on the first foul, unless I've got myself mixed up here, where uh, PJ just pulled the chair on Embiid and Embiid just fell yeah. over foul. I was actually a little bit disappointed that Bud straight away brought Brook Lopez in because I kind of just wanted to see the experiment a little bit longer. And, and yeah, we got, we got a couple of possessions there, but it did feel that as long as Embiid was on the floor, Bud wanted to match Brook's minutes. And Brook actually only played 23 minutes. I mean, you talk about his scoring output. I mean, he did it in a hurry tonight and he still got 22 minutes out of PJ Tucker as well. And when Embiid didn't play in the fourth quarter, we did see them go small. It's interesting that, you know, I wouldn't say it was Dante's best night tonight. I think that's fair to say. And I think he he annoyed Bud early with a uh, a gamble that he took defensively that allowed an open dunk as well. So maybe he was in the bad books a little bit. But we have seen Bud a lot go to Pat Connaughton. He was the guy that even prior to P.J. Tucker coming here was oftentimes the, the other guy that they played in the small lineup. And we saw it quite a bit in the fourth quarter tonight. So that was obviously noteworthy as well. And the only other thing I, I was at least interested in because when you looked at the rotation in totality they basically played nine guys with pat pj Bryn, and bobby off the bench uh jeff teague uh, didn't play off two nights rest it was interesting they didn't go with the backup point guard there they certainly had a rough stretch in the second quarter where they didn't really have a point guard out there dante was sort of handling the ball um, Chris wasn't out there, Giannis wasn't out there as well, and the Sixers were able to put some some pretty dangerous perimeter defenders out there, particularly with Thibel. He was out there causing a, a bit of havoc as well. So that was at least interesting that he didn't play Teague there when he was uh, active and, as far as we know, ready to go. All right, it's Built Bar time, Frank. I already mentioned this episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar, and of course we know if you head to Built Bar 
Bulletproof.com, you'll see all the flavors that are available for you right now, including the coconut brownie chunk. My personal favorite is available for a limited time, so please do not miss out on that. That was the winner of the Built Bar Madness as well, of course. Uh, we need to mention that because it was a highly prestigious award there. But Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar that's ever been made. Uh, they're healthy for you. The bars are healthy. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber as well, and covered in 100% chocolate. And of course, we've got a sweet deal. Just go to builtbar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. The Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey is happening now, featuring analysis from NFL experts and also our local experts. Every team is going to be making trades and picking the next stars of their team. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is your audio home for all the sports, podcasts, music, and news that matters to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Yeah, and I... Occasionally, you see reference to to Bud and in, in his rotations. I can't remember if we talked. We might have talked about this the other night, Kane, as well. But you know, really, only a nine man rotation tonight. Um, but it, it's not like the Bucks play more than ten guys regularly at all, right? I mean, yes, sometimes they go really deep, but that's usually because it's garbage time, and you know, those guys get brought in. But um, especially this year with with Giannis and Chris getting stretched a bit more, and you know, Holiday plays more than Bledsoe did a year ago. Um, any given night, I mean, there's really, you know, generally 10 guys that play. Oftentimes, one of those guys doesn't play much at all. And tonight, Teague, the, normally the, the part of that kind of five-man bench group that, that gets action, as you said, didn't play at all, which was an interesting one because it's not like it was, you know, um, not a situation where uh, he, you know, he needed to be rested. No, nobody for the Bucks was on the injury report. So, you know doesn't seem like it's it's an injury thing so uh, yeah I, I don't know maybe that's just bud seeing kind of what what his rotation looks like with um kind of a shorter a shorter leash um but uh but we'll see and, and any part of it too is just the sixers don't have you know uh, i mean especially the case when simmons is starting but um they they don't really have like typical sort of point guard play um you know george hill's probably the closest to that and you know we saw him tonight first time since uh since he left Milwaukee and uh weirdly Giannis was defending him early because <laughs> there was like no an obvious real matchup for Giannis I I don't know that I would have picked George Hill I was again sort of had my painful painful look on my face watching Giannis try to go over screens chasing George Hill which is just like all right <laughs> why, uh, this is annoying me but um but I, that that might have been part of it just that you know there was no kind of small point guard that uh you had to sort of chase around the perimeter um but uh well yeah it, it curious uh curious if we'll see something different on on saturday um with uh with teague uh because certainly he's been good enough it's not like he's in a slump and you know uh he's been benched for for you know oh he's, he's not he's not producing but um just returning your your other point I, I at this point i mean if you told me who do i want in my crunch time five um i mean i wish i had i wish the bucks had you know, some better options such that they didn't have to choose between Dante and Pat. But, um, I mean, at this point I would say Pat, you know, just because, um, he's shot the ball well all year, you know, Dante has shot, you know, the ball 
close to not he's not far off in terms of three point percentage but I think the problem with Dante is it's just I just don't really trust him like he can do more things with the ball than Pat can but I just don't really trust him to make good decisions to be honest I mean um he's just you know you know occasionally Pat will will you know a guy will set him a screen and he'll try to attack a pick and roll or something like that obviously that's not really his forte but um, but he's not like out there looking to, to try to do that sort of stuff. He's not out there looking to do really complicated things or drive and try to throw up wild, you know, layups and things like that. I, I just worry with Dante. I mean, he's at this point, it just feels like he's kind of good enough to be dangerous. <laughs> Oftentimes I don't know that it's really a plus for the team, just some of the stuff he tries to do. And, and again, when, when he's having a good night, it's good. You know, I think he's, he can be a really good spark and, and on both ends, but um, you know, the problem is kind of bad Dante is a guy that, you know, offensively tries to do too much, um, brushes shots, doesn't really value possessions. Defensively, he's a guy that gambles, gets out of position. Um, we've seen that obviously in some really crucial moments. Um, so yeah, I think right now, you know, you ask me who, who would I feel more comfortable with? I'd say Pat. And part of that too is just because Pat's also just bigger. Um, and look, not that, not that you want Pat being the, you know, uh, the guy that, that has to defend, uh, you know, a, a star wing player in a, in a switch situation late in the game. Um, but I, I probably trust him more than Dante, just, just from a size and strength perspective, he's just a little bit bigger and stronger, uh, than Dante is. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, really that, you know, as the, as the season winds down here and we'll see some, you know, crunch time situations. I think certainly we, we, you know, we talk a lot about what's Bud going to do in terms of Brooke versus PJ, right? And which of those guys is he going to play? And sort of the implicit choice between those two guys in crunch time situations, do you go big, do you go small? Um, but the, the other question, obviously, you know, we know, we know the three, got three, who three of the guys on the court are uh, in any scenario in, in, in a late game situation. You know, PJ versus Brooke is sort of the one we always talk about, but then I think the other obviously is, uh, you know, Dante's been the presumptive guy as the starter, but I think Pat has uh, has obviously made a good case all year. And we, we kind of keep waiting for him to, you know, have like a deep shooting slump, but, you know, knock on wood, it just hasn't happened so far. And you just obviously hope that uh, that, that continues. I always come back to the same point that I know you've brought up a number of times or the same podcast that you've referenced a number of times right from the start of the season with Zach Lowe. And I do think now that in most situations, the Bucks have gone from three guys to probably four guys. If you include PJ Tucker in that closing lineups and, and obviously it's dependent on matchups, but four guys that I feel really comfortable with. And I just think it's totally fine that the fifth guy is up in the air and you have three or four guys that it might be on any given night. I don't think it's a big deal. Like you said, when Dante's playing really well, then yeah, it makes sense that he's the guy. But I think overall, just for the consistency of the shooting through the season, Pat is, he's, he, He's, he's had a good year, you know. I, I still remember back to the preseason, the conversations we were having. He was certainly on the outer, I would say, with the majority of Bucks fans uh, based on a, a number of reasons. But, geez, he's, he's been fantastic. I, I don't think that you can uh, discredit him at all. Just uh, a couple of final tidbits. I had Giannis, obviously, they were talking about it on the, the local broadcast a lot, but he finishes the night on 11,999 points. And I was almost glad that he missed one of those free throws because if he got it just because of that weird... I'm going to hang up. Did you just say you're glad that Giannis yeah. missed a free throw? I'm, I, about I, to, I'm about to just slam my phone down. If this was a, a regular old phone, I'm about to slam this phone down on you, Kane, but well, I'll let you can finish your point. 
Well, it's good that you've actually said that because that was going to be my next tidbit was going to ask that the look that Mike Budenholzer gave Jordan War, I was going to ask uh, as, a, <laughs> as a fellow dad, do you have that look in you? Have you ever had to dish out that look? And I get the sense that maybe that was the look that was on your face when I just said I was happy Giannis missed the free throw <laughs> because I'm a little bit I mean, scared. I'm glad I'm in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last minute, uh, I mean, it, it's funny because – you know, you kind of, it was, it was a little surprising. I mean, Sixers don't play and beat at all in the fourth, kind of waving the flag. Um, but, you know, they were playing their other guys. Uh, and then they they kind of go like, all right, more end of the bench guys, well, maybe like three minutes to go. And you thought maybe the Bucs would do the same. They even took a timeout. Uh, I think I think it was their user to lose a timeout, which, of course, Mike Budenholzer will always use it. Um, but uh, they kept Giannis and, and them in there a little bit longer. And you was like, okay. But like nobody was just hitting shots. It wasn't like you know, it wasn't like the the Bucks were like horrendous. They just were just missing, just missed. It, it was just like literally the mean regression, right? Like they couldn't miss from for you know three three quarters, uh, and then it's just suddenly every it's every shot's a miss, and you know, kind of unfortunate. But that's just kind of the way it, the way it went. Um, and it was like, all right, I'm wondering when you're going to see when we're going to see the the young guys, and then they come in, and then you know, literally turn it over three times in 30 seconds um i think it was what there was the thanasis backcourt travel when uh philly was pressing and then i, I can't even remember who what the other turnovers were did merrill have a turnover um it was just it was just ugly i mean they literally couldn't get it out of the, the you know the backcourt basically and it was just like okay guys uh and so you know Bud pulling his his scrubs to put his starters back in with what was it thirteen seconds left or something like 7. that? 7. Um, <laughs> seven point six. Seven point six. I liked it. I mean, it was like annoying as hell that it had to happen. Um, but I, I was just like, screw these guys. Like you know, like Wara looked like he just rolled out of bed. Um, and you know, I, I mean, it's sort of these things. Like I, I get it. You know, people. You know, we we, we want to see what the young guys can do. And th- there's obviously hope that those guys long-term can turn into rotation pieces, but, um, you know, just little stuff like that. I mean, shit like that is why, <laughs> on top of the fact that he's actually had a really good year, like, I mean, this is why, like, the idea of benching Pat Connaughton for Jordan War or something like that, just, like, it doesn't pass the smell test. Like, you know, just these young guys, like, they just they just do stupid stuff. They don't pay attention. They don't do the little things. Um, and, you know, okay, if you're, screwing around and you know just in a rebuild that's that's one thing but um you know this stuff this stuff matters and um it's it's just you know bar is high with this team and so we'll see um hopefully the bucks i feel like the bucks have generally been a pretty fun garbage time team because those guys can all shoot and they don't they're not bashful but um yeah if you can't get the ball out of the backcourt uh not great guys not great and look, there was a minute 10 left when they came back in. I mean, they might have got to the point where they're like, ah, oh, Bud's not actually even going to pull these guys. They probably thought they were coming in with six minutes left. So it's tough. And like, they were minus seven. They were minus seven in like less than a minute. Yeah. I know, but it's like, guys, 60 seconds, they're like, okay, we're just going to drill out the clock. Then Philadelphia are playing a full court press. And I don't know. It's just a weird situation. But um, yeah, I, I, I found it very funny. Like, um, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands is playing over the organ and then Bud just furiously calls a timeout and gives Jordan War this, this death stare of a lifetime. But anyway, 
the Bucks are able to hang on, which is the main thing there. And uh, even though a few players got whacked in the face down the stretch, the starters look like they got out unscathed, which of course is the other thing that makes you a little uneasy there. Uh, the only other quote I have, I just want to read this out because I think it's a really cool quote as we wrap this up. Bobby Portis in his post game uh, just mentioned, as he has all season, how happy he is to be in Milwaukee. But he said, it feels good to be on a team that trusts you. It's my sixth year now. And I finally feel comfortable. I have solidified a role on a team that can do big things. I'm just excited. I'm really honored. It's fun to be on this team. And he's really had that attitude from night one he, that, that we got the chance to speak to him. He was so excited to be in Milwaukee and be playing on a good team. So shout out to Bobby Portis, Frank. It was good to see him step up tonight. Yeah, he's one of those guys. I'm just, I'm, I'm just really curious what he looks like in the playoffs. And, yeah. you know... From the moment he signed, you know, our, our, our question was, you know, especially defensively, is he a guy that um, can, can be solid enough, passable enough that, you know, you can play him um, real minutes in, in the playoffs, right? Because you kind of have to. You don't, you don't have a lot of depth. I think the Tucker acquisition, um, you know, as we, as we said, is, is in kind of subtle ways even though, you know, we've always, the, the talking point has always been the, the Brooke versus PJ discussion as, as we discussed as well tonight, but it's also a bit of a question, you know, and, and, and a hedge against what Portis can do. And, you know, certainly if Portis is struggling, then the obvious lever you have is to play PJ more in the playoffs and, you know, you know, not, not necessarily that you're going to play a, just three, three quote unquote bigs between Giannis uh, Portis and, or sorry, Giannis, PJ and, and Brooke, but you know, you could, you don't have to play Bobby Portis 20 minutes a night, right? You, you have options uh, if, if matchups are a problem, if defense is a problem. So it was nice to see him kind of come through and I'd be curious to know what his splits are against, you know, kind of above 500 versus below 500 teams. I think the narrative, it feels like he has had a lot of very quiet games uh, against better teams. I mean, I think that's generally been true of the Bucks bench overall. Uh, so it was really nice to see him just, you know, busting out the flamethrower tonight from three, um, especially just corner three. It seems like he was just hitting those corner threes all night long. Giannis finding him repeatedly, um, you know, and, and, you know, just, just fun to watch and nice to see a guy that obviously has not been a part of, you know, much winning, appreciating being on this team. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's been a guy that has, has seemed to blend in really well with, with this group. I mean, I think Bucks, Bucks fans, I think we've been very fortunate in general. This team has, um, brought together, you know, guys that, that mesh well and, and want to win and want to compete and, you know, are, are bringing good things to the locker room, uh, really these throughout the bud era. Um, and so nice for, for Portis to do that. And, you know, he hasn't broken anybody's jaw yet. So, so that's a plus too. I thought there was but, a chance um, he might break Dwight Howard's jaw tonight, actually, the way that yeah, uh, the way he was going. Little, a little frisky. Um, but I'm, I am, it's going to be an interesting question in the playoffs, right? I mean, that, that question we, or mentioned is, you know, can he be a, a, a really useful rotation big man in the playoffs? And if he does, then the Bucks are going to have a really interesting situation decision to make because, you know, their their flexibility is going to be very limited this summer in terms of what they can do cap wise and resigning him. And since you know he can opt out of his contract, um, and I, you know, I can't imagine he we'll look back and, and this season and feel like, you know, 4 million bucks is the best he can do next season as a potential free agent. So, um, you know, would the bucks 
use their taxpayer mid-level exception just to bring him back. Um, you know, I think in an ideal world, you would just be able to bring him back at the number he's at. Cause you, you know, again, you don't have, um, you know, true bird rights to, to bring him back at a, at a much higher number. So you pretty much can basically pay him, uh, you know, if he opts out, you could pay him a little bit more than what he's making now, but you're not going to be able to give him much more than that unless you use that, that taxpayer mid-level, which again, then you don't really have a way to, to add anybody else for more than a minimum. So um, definitely one of those things that well, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, right? <laughs> right? I mean, if he's like a total disaster, you know, we may not be having this discussion, but, uh, but yeah, obviously, hey, as a Bucks fan, you hope that he plays well the rest of the year and that he's great in the playoffs and that, you know, you want to give him that, that taxpayer mid-level exception because, uh, cause he's earned it. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, one of those kind of team building subplots to, to watch here as, as we progress towards the playoffs. But, um, certainly he's been, he's been really solid. And I think, I, you know, I think the funny part is I think he's been good enough defensively so far in a regular season sense. I, I think, I think he's been, especially with the Bucks switching more, I think, He's a guy that benefits from that, not because he's a great switch defender, but I just don't think he's a drop, you know, a, a drop defender in a, as a center in in the Bucks sort of traditional scheme. It just doesn't really doesn't really play to his to his uh, skill set. I think he is better off. Um, he moves his feet at least reasonably well, um, so I think he's better off when the Bucks are switching and um, and he's able to to show that you know he does have at least decent lateral movement. Um, so. I, I think the Bucks have, have done a, for the most part kind of what they hoped in terms of being able to kind of get him into a system where he's doesn't look as bad as he has in previous years. Um, again, I, I'm not going to say he's, <laughs> he's a good defender, but I think he's been passable. Um, but I, I mean, the real, the real thing that we've seen is he's just been much better offensively than he normally has. Right. I mean, what is, what is he at? He's got to be close to 50% after this, after tonight's game from three, you know, shooting the lights out from three. Um, he obviously isn't bashful offensively. He looks for that mid-range jumper. He loves going to that right hand for those little like push shots out of the post. Um, but you know, this is the most efficient scoring season he's ever had. And he was a sneaky kind of inefficient guy for in a number of years recently. And you kind of didn't think of it because he put up points, but he wasn't really an efficient scorer. Um, so the fact that he's been very efficient and, you know, okay defensively, I think obviously, um, so far you, you look at that signing and say, it's been, been a really solid one, which certainly I wasn't, I wasn't totally convinced of when, when it happened. The benefits of playing on a good team and those looks are a little bit different to what they might've been on the New York Knicks last year. Uh, although the Knicks flying themselves at the moment, but the Bucks anyway, 36 and 22, they beat the Sixers tonight, only two and a half games back. So as Frank has pointed out, a pretty critical game on Saturday afternoon. If they win that, they'll only be one and a half games behind the Sixers. And we know they've got a couple of big games against the Nets who have their own injury issues as well. And outside of that, the Bucks have got a pretty nice run home. So who knows? Every time we've ruled it out, every time we've said they're locked in third, the window just opens a little bit. The Bucks haven't been able to take that opportunity thus far. But we'll see if they can do that on Saturday, 2.30 p.m. tip. So do not miss out on that it's 5 30 a.m sunday for me so i'm really just getting in playoff mode this is uh really preparing me for those first round afternoon matchups on nba tv so it's going to be um fantastic for me i'm thrilled i'm really looking forward to getting up at five o'clock on a sunday morning to watch this game but frank i might uh 
I might bother you in the afternoon. Who knows? We'll see what happens in this game. Maybe we'll catch up and do a weekend pod. Uh, it's a big game. It's always fun when the Bucks play the Sixers. Indeed. Talk to you on Saturday, hopefully. All right. We'll be back after the game. Enjoy your weekend. I don't know if it's still snowing, but stay warm or whatever you have to do over there. Who knows with the weather there. We'll speak to you guys after the game.